This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we thank You again for uh, gathering us here, Lord, uh, in Your presence. Lord, uh, help us to be mindful of that, that uh, truly You are living God. That You're with us and in us. Lord, help us to focus on You uh, tonight and continue in an uh, attitude of worship as we consider uh, the truth in this passage before us. We ask that You grant understanding and use it for Your glory and honor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Appreciate everybody uh, coming out this afternoon. I th- uh, I'm from the people that I talked to, the family members that I talked to, I think they were truly blessed uh, you know, just by the, by the love that they, they felt here. Uh, Niall's youngest brother told me, uh, he said, now I know why he liked coming here so much. <laughs> I said, Amen. I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. But his, yeah, his his mother was sitting over here. Wow. I think that was her, yeah. She did. She seemed real sweet. And she lives in West Virginia. She came came down all that way. So, all right. Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read the same passages we read this morning and just uh, move through the rest of these, uh, the rest of the three temptations here. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, 
and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Amen. Well, um, we said a little bit about this this morning. Let me just briefly recap uh, uh, on, on the first one. Uh, first of all, all of these things are coming immediately after uh, Jesus' baptism. So, uh, that's why Satan addresses him the way that he does. Because if you look back in verse, 16, verse 17 of chapter 3, um, there's a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, at least for everybody there at the baptism... Um, God Himself announces, this is my beloved Son. And so, Jesus, immediately after that, is, is uh, led up or driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Luke says, uh, adds, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, he being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit and, or driven by the Spirit, which I think are uh, pretty much always the same the same thing. In other words, he was he was uh, under the full influence of the Holy Spirit, fully controlled, fully in line with um, the will of God. He went into the wilderness to be tempted. He went there for that purpose, and that's we talked a little bit about that this morning. The necessity he he had to do that, just like he had to be baptized for our benefit, to earn righteousness for us, to live out. Probably an uh, uh, easier way of saying it, to live out for us uh, the life that we can't, that we, we don't live, that we can't live. He's perfectly doing, fulfilling God's will. So it was necessary for him to go to the wilderness and be tempted by Satan. Now, this is, this is a, a, a full force attack, but it's certainly not the last that, that he will see of Satan. Um, he'll, he'll be, you know, uh, tempted. Other times throughout his ministry, but but this is uh, the first that we have record of. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. That statement's always kind of amazed me. I say, <laughs> the way Matthew would say that after he had fasted. In other words, he hadn't eaten forty days, and so in forty days, and so Matthew says he was hungry. Well, Amen. I think the point being um, that physically speaking. This is a very weak moment. If you know, and it may sound strange to use that uh, uh, the, the term "weak" in reference to Jesus, but remember, he was fully man, so he got tired like we get tired. He got hungry like we get hungry. Um, but we'll see that he he doesn't give in to the weakness in uh, in succumbing to the sin. But he was he was hungry like anybody would be. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, here's what I was referring to. Satan addresses him this way because it's already been announced, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So now Satan says, If you are, or since you are the Son of God, do this. You're, you're very hungry. Command that these stones... Become bread. Now that may sound like a light thing, but he's here. Jesus is fasting in accordance with God's will for for uh, for a very specific purpose. Uh, you know, he's he's focusing his attention uh, on the Father, 
focusing his attention on accomplishing the Father's will. And here uh, comes the devil in that moment of physical weakness and uh, uses that uh, in order to tempt him. That's the way Satan operates. important for us to realize that because he does the same thing with us. Obviously, he does it uh, more successfully with us. But he does the same thing with us. We, We were, a few Wednesday nights ago, we were talking about where sin dwells. Sin dwells in us. So it's, it's not that Satan has to cause us to sin. We're already sinners. It's not, it's not like the old, uh, remember the old Flip Wilson thing? You know, the devil made me do it. You know, you do something wrong and say, the devil made me do it. Some of you remember Flip Wilson. Some of you may not. But <laughs> You're probably the better for it. But, but, <laughs> but I, re- I remember. The devil made me do it. Well, what the devil does is, again, deceive. He takes a, a, a desire that's already in you and he uses that weakness to persuade you. He doesn't have to necessarily convince you to sin. We're, we already have the sinful nature. But he plays on that weakness, encouraging us to follow through and give in to the flesh. And, of course, this is what he was trying to do with Jesus um, with no success. So, since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. You're hungry, and there's an easy solution. All you've got to do, if you're really the Son of God, or again, uh, it, the, the way that it's structured, it kind of assumes that He is. So, it's like, since you're the Son of God, or you know, because you're the Son of God, there's an easy solution here. You just turn these stones into bread and eat. There's the temptation playing on the weakness. A friend of mine, uh, well, Mike Harris. Y'all remember Mike because he came out here and preached a while back. Um, this has been a long time ago, 20 years ago, I guess. He was he was fasting, had been fasting for a couple of days. And uh, Mike, at that time, was a contractor. He's in real estate now, but at that time he was a contractor. And he was working down in uh, Alexandria somewhere, and he's coming back on I-49 and he's, you know, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to fast and pray and look to the Lord. And all of a sudden, he, he got this, you know how commercial jingles get in your head and stick in your head. And he told me he's driving down interstate trying to pray. And, and, then all, and he's hearing in his head, Mr. Gaddy's is the pizza lover's answer to prayer. <laughs> well, you know what? We're already weak and our flesh is already wanting to give in. So Satan just uses things to uh, kind of encourage us along in that weakness. Jesus' response is, is not to give in. <clears throat> and as I said this morning, he fires back with Scripture. I heard Lester Roloff say years ago, um, Satan came at Jesus with this temptation and Jesus pulled a couple of 44s on him. He's talking about Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4, which are both this passage right here. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, again, important to note, how does Jesus resist temptation? Scripture. I mean, He goes to, it is written. Because that is, that's a solid foundation. That's authoritative. It's, that idea is even in that word because it's in the perfect tense. Um, it stands written. It's like the, like you know like it can't be changed. Here's the deal. God said this: Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus, of course he's hungry, but he understands that there's something that he needs more than bread. He needs God's Word. He needs God's will. Uh, similar when, when he's talking to the woman at the well in John 4, and uh, the disciples ask him uh, if, if he's had anything to eat. And he says, I have meat that you know not of. And they're talking among themselves, you know, where did he get something to eat at? Well, what he's saying is, uh, my meat is to do the Father's will. That's my sustenance, to do God's will, be about God's business. So it's similar, similar uh, uh, here. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's will, revealed will. So that's the first temptation. He, Satan appeals to, um, you might say, a fleshly need. Now, I don't mean by that flesh in the sense of sinful nature, but flesh in the sense of physical, his, his physical need. Satan appeals to his physical weakness, his physical need, and tries to lure him into uh, not accomplishing God's will. Then, verse 5, the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He shall, and here Satan quotes Scripture from Psalm 91. He shall, it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's interesting, isn't it? That, uh, I mean, Satan tempts Jesus. Jesus responds with, It is written. And what does Satan do? And his next temptation, he uses Scripture. That's pretty, um, pretty sly, isn't it? He says, look, just throw yourself off the temple because you'll be protected. It is written. It stands written. God's authoritative Word. He'll give His angels charge over you, and they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. You'll be, you'll be provided for. Now, an interesting note here, and it's not something we, we know for sure, but I remember uh, Austin saying years ago that there was a, uh, Austin Tucker saying years ago that there was a, um, evidence of a, of a uh, Hebrew or Jewish uh, tradition at that time where they had this idea that when the Messiah came, he would kind of... Uh, uh, kind of float down into the uh, into the temple, you know, make this make this grand uh, descension, and everybody would know he's the Messiah. Messiah is here. So Austin was suggesting that's what's behind this. Satan is is uh, is saying, if you jump off the pinnacle of the temple, um, you know, you're not going to plummet to the bottom and and die. You're just, you're just gonna, God's gonna protect you and you're just gonna kind of float down and to the temple court there and then everybody's gonna know immediately, um, that you're the Messiah. Well, whether that's true about that tradition or not, it is certainly true that that, if, if Jesus did that, if he jumped off the pinnacle of the temple and landed safely, <laughs> that would be quite a sign, wouldn't it? And everybody standing around would know immediately there's something different about this guy. Um, so it, it would be a way of showing them that he is, uh, he is the Messiah. He's somebody 
um, to be revered, somebody special. So, so again, Satan's using that, um, kind of playing on ego. Go ahead, prove it. Since you are the Son of God, prove it. Jump. It's already been written. You're going to be taken care of. God's not going to let you even dash your foot against the stone. So, come on, do it. Show the world. Jesus responds in verse 7, It is written again. And, and by the way, that, uh, just a, uh, Satan's misuse of Scripture is not uncommon. You think about all the cults out there and the false religions that actually use the Word of God. They just twist it and pervert it, um, pervert the meaning of it. And yet say, I mean, just for example, even the Muslims say that this is, the Bible is God's Word. Of course, when you get to uh, <clears throat> talking about certain issues, they don't believe it, but, but, uh, but they'll tell you, and it sounds good on the surface, they'll tell you, yeah, that's, that's God's Word. So Jesus responds, verse 7, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Well, what would it say if Jesus had done what Satan suggested? In other words, here God the Father has Jesus in the wilderness fasting. He 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 came in a in a you know he's born in a manger in an obscure place. Uh, there was no royal announcement. And even when he came on the scene to begin his ministry, um, just seem, seemingly sort of comes out of nowhere, shows up one day to be baptized. Uh, he, you know, he wasn't uh, some prominent person. So God's doing things this way, and now He's got him fasting in the wilderness, preparing for uh, his ministry. And if Jesus were to do any of these things, for example, jump off of the pinnacle of the temple to show here and now that I'm the Messiah. Uh, he, he would be, for one thing, putting God to the test, putting the Father to the test. If I jump off the pinnacle, Father has to take care of me. He'd be tempting God, put, testing God. The word tempt. Sometimes translated test, sometimes tempt. It just depends on the the uh, the context. Uh, because in English, you know, when we say tempt, it carries a, a bad connotation. Uh, where testing uh, is not necessarily bad, but the Greek word is the same. Sometimes it's translated one, sometimes the other. But if he were to do that, jump off the pinnacle of the temple, he would be testing the Father. And it would actually be a, a, a manifestation of discontent with his situation, with his circumstances. You know, Satan tempts us with that all the time. You know, we're, we're in a certain situation. God's doing things a certain way in his own timing, according to his own will. And, uh, you know, we're impatient, we're in a hurry, or, or we just want to do things differently. And Satan can use that. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know, God will take care of you. 
He'll never forsake the righteous. You'll never see the seed of the righteous begging bread. Go ahead. Do it. God promises to look out for you. And we can be discontent with our own situation and circumstances and try to fix it, you know, in our mind. We'd really be messing it up. But try to fix it in our mind and tempt God in the process. I mean, we'd, we'd be saying to God, look, we, we're not happy with the way you're doing things. Now, this is what... Uh, manifested among the children of Israel over and over and over again in the wilderness. They were discontent with what God was doing. And they start whining and complaining. Look, we had it made back in Egypt. And you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. When God was doing miraculous things, feed, raining bread from heaven. I mean, you would think just that. You know, waking up every day and there's... Bread everywhere to eat. You would think that would be a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, uh, convincing, a little bit convincing to them that, hey, God is taking care of you. He's doing, you know, just trust Him, just follow Him. But they were constantly complaining. We don't, we don't have meat. We're tired of this bread. We want some meat. We want to go back to Egypt. This and that. So they were, they were discontent. And, uh, that's the way the Lord spoke about them, that they were tempting Him, even doubting His presence among them. Verse 8, again, the devil took Him up on an exceedingly high mountain. That's always kind of fascinated me. It makes you wonder where, you know, <laughs> where they were exactly. Again, the devil took Him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, this is Satan speaking to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, the wealth, the riches, the spoil. All this is yours if, if you'll just worship me. Doesn't even, he doesn't even go so far as to say, look, stop worshiping the Father. Stop loving the Father and just love me. No, it's just in addition. It can be just in addition. Just, just love me. Worship me. Acknowledge my power, my authority. Let me, let me read you that same uh, temptation out of Luke. Verse 5, Luke 4, verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Which seems to suggest there this was a supernatural event. I, we don't know, but at any rate. Verse 6. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you. And their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. He says, all, all this, all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory have been given to me, and I give it to whoever I want to. So, if you worship me, it's yours. I'll give it to you. It's kind of a... a astounding 
to me how many people I run across that believe what he said there. <laughs> now, I'm just throwing this out for thought, okay? I mean, it, remember what Jesus says later about Satan? He's a liar and the father of it. Uh, I see no reason, you know, from the rest of Scripture, I see no reason to believe that he has the authority he's claiming there. It's, it's just a trick. It's just a lie. It's just a lie. He says, all this authority has been delivered to me. Now, ironically, um, Jesus would know whether that was true or not, right? <laughs> but that's how bold Satan is. And he says, all this authority has been given to me. I, I give it to whomever I will. Now, all you got to do is worship me and it's yours. I would say that's a lie. But at any rate, whether it is or it isn't, it's, it is a temptation either way. And Jesus responds in verse 10, Matthew 4.10, Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written. There it is again. It stands written. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only. You shall serve. From Deuteronomy 6. Both of those uh, latter two quotes from Deuteronomy 6. And the first one in verse 4 is from Deuteronomy 8. So, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only. So, there can't be any anything. You know, Satan says, worship me. Like I say, he could have been uh, suggesting, in addition to God, worship me. And I'll, and I'll give you all this. But, but that doesn't cut it either. That's what Jesus is saying. Here's the command. Here's what the Scripture says. You worship God and God alone, and Him only you serve. In, in fact, later He says, you can't, serve, you can't worship two masters. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. It's one or the other. Right? I bet you, uh, Elizabeth and Elena, can you all quote that? The verse I was just talking about? Can't serve two masters? How does it go? Amen. Amen. Very good. Very good. You can't serve two masters. Right? Only only one. Now let me let me do something here before we uh before we wrap it up, um, look over at First John chapter two. First John chapter two. I'm going to draw a little correlation here, a little parallel. Um, uh, well, let me let me say it this way. I'm going to tie some of these things together. Possible. Parallel, and then I'm going to show you a definite parallel. Okay, there's definitely a parallel here in that um, what First John two is warning against is loving the world. What Satan was trying to get Jesus to do in Matthew four is love the world, love the world and the things of the world more than the will of God, more than God Himself. And this is what John's warning against here. Look at 1 John 2, 
15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... Has that ever caused a, a, a problem for you there as far as... I mean, like when you compare that to John 3.16? For God so loved the world. And then you get here and John says, Do not love the world. You ever thought about that? The word world, cosmos, there has a, can have a variety of meanings. So it's not, it's not talking about exactly the same thing. God so loved the world you know, is a way of saying He loves the, the uh, created order. Everything that He's created. Cosmos. God, for God so loved the created order that He... Or really, it would be in this way God loved the created order that He gave His only begotten Son. Um, but here... John is talking about uh, what we often refer to as the world system, which would, you know, pull our affections away from God. Um, Temporary uh, treasures, you might say, of this world. You know, Jesus said, uh, set your heart, um, build up treasures in heaven. Paul says, set your heart on things above where where Christ sits. So, um, the ways of this world and the things like material things of this world that would, that would uh, steal our hearts away from God. This is what John's warning against. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now get that part right there. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is one of those places where uh, John... And this epistle is, is uh, I mean, he's just black and white all the way through. It's either this way or it's that way. And this is one example of that. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For, verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So, for example, when Jesus speaks of His followers, says that we're in the world, but not of the world. This is what He's talking about. Physically, we're in the world, but we're not of the world in the sense that we are um, controlled by this kind of lust. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Because if we have that kind of love for the things of the world, if, if the things of the world really have our affections, then God does not. Because you can't serve two masters. And because Jesus is totally committed to one master, he's, he's, Luke said, being filled with the Spirit. And Mark said He was... Uh, Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And uh, Luke and Matthew say he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he being totally full of the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit of God in perfect harmony with God's will, had no love for this world or the things of this world. He saw them for what they were. Temporary pleasures, temporary comforts. Not worth losing focus. Again, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 
is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, I, I may have told you this story before, probably have. I was, I was preaching this text one time in Germantown. This was many years ago. And uh, like I often do, you know, I was wrestling, <laughs> wrestling with it, struggling, looking for a way to, uh, to just, just say it plain. How, how can you take these phrases, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, and just for the purpose of explanation, you know, to, to help get them. I mean, that's what you, what you try to do when you're teaching. You know, is let's make it, at least it should be, is make it, let's make it as plain as possible. And in order to do that, how, how can I say, paraphrase those things in a way that it, uh, that, it, that it accomplishes that? You know, that it says what they say, but just puts it in a way that the people will remember, right? That they'll kind of grasp it and, re- and remember and I struggled with that and struggled with that, and I just couldn't, just, just couldn't, you know, just didn't, didn't have it. And so I, you know, anyway, I, I preached the message on it, but I didn't come up with a better way to say it. And then I think it was, I think it was the very next Thursday morning. It was real quick after that. I think it was the very next Thursday morning. I go to the breakfast, our prayer breakfast up in Shreveport, and, uh, and, you know, speaking of full of the Spirit, RF gets started on one of his, uh, 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 little spells and, and, uh, talking and, and if you ever were around RF Gates, uh, you know, basically talking and worshiping at the same time and talking. And, and he, he's just going and going and then, and then he starts talking about this verse and he says, to do, to have, and to be. To do, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, to have, and the pride of life, to be. And I just thought, man, I wish he'd have said that last week before I preached this sermon, you know. Why couldn't I think of that, you know? To do, to have, and to be. That's so good. I thought it was as good. Just a simple way to put it. Lust of the flesh, to do. You know, you just, you just have this desire. And by the way, here, uh, I think John is probably talking, when he says, uses the word flesh, he's probably talking about the sinful nature. So you've got these, uh, Corrupt desires of the flesh, of the sinful nature. But I think it would also apply, uh, because it can lead to sin, it, it could apply to a legitimate fleshly desire. Not, not in the sense of sinful nature, but just physical. So, for example, when Satan comes to Jesus and says, look, you're hungry. There's an easy solution here. You, you've got a legitimate fleshly desire, which is true. There's nothing sinful about about being hungry, and there's nothing sinful most of the time for going and sitting down to eat, you know. Nothing sinful about it. If you do it with Thanksgiving, we we talked about that and on Wednesday night too, a few weeks ago. You 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 receive the food with Thanksgiving, give God thanks. Uh it's he's glorified. So there's nothing sinful about that. So Satan says to Jesus, Look, you're hungry. You've got you've got a Physical need, a physical desire. Do something about it. Turn these stones into bread. So there's there's a temptation there to do to do something to fulfill the desire of the flesh. And Jesus Jesus rejects it. The lust of the eyes. You know, you, you, you see something. 
and you desire it. This is what happened to Eve when she was uh, deceived by Satan. And Satan begins to tell her, yeah, you know, did God, God really say that? God really say you can't have that tree? And, and Eve then looks at it and see that it's a thing to be desired. That's lust of the eyes. To have. To have. You see something? I've got, I got to have that. Got to have that. And Satan comes to Jesus and takes Him up on a high mountain and he says, look, the kingdoms of the world in all their glory. And I have the authority to give it to you. And all you got to do is worship Me. And he, he's playing on that desire to have, to have. I, 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 need, I need that glory. You know, I, I need those possessions. And to be the pride of life. Satan comes to Jesus and says, Look, since you're the Son of God, just make it known. Come on. You, you can have people bowing down before you now. Just, just cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. And it's written. He'll give His angels charge over you. They'll bear you up so that you don't even dash your foot against the stone. And everyone will know who you are. You'll be somebody right now. To be the pride of life. To do, to have, to be. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Folks, <clears throat> on a daily basis, I'm, and I don't say this to be, you know, like uh, discouraging or anything, but let's just face it. On a, on a daily basis, uh, we fail pretty regularly on these things. Where we don't, it's only because uh, of God's grace and keeping us from just, you know, from just plummeting off full force, headlong, we fail miserably on these tests. Got to have it. Got to do it. Got to be somebody. That's why Jesus had to go. That's why Jesus had to go to the wilderness. To do it for us. Because He... he the Lord could have taken us one by one and sent us out there. Okay, look, you go to the wilderness and you're going to be tried. And, uh, you know, come back and let me know how it comes out. If He'd wanted to, He could have taken us one by one and sent us out there. Every single one of us would have failed miserably, just like Adam and Eve did. That's why Jesus had to go. That's why Jesus had to go through that. That's why it was necessary for Him to fulfill all righteousness because we're in need of it. We weren't getting the job done. We ain't getting the job done. Never would have gotten the job done. So He did it for us. He endured the temptation. And He overcame. He, 
He resisted the temptation to do, the temptation to be, the temptation to have. Every other thing that Satan came at him with, he resisted. And came out victorious for us. And that's why it's so important for us to have our, put our trust in Him. And not in ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for grace. Um, Lord, You're providing what we need. Fulfilling the law that You commanded in our behalf. Lord, thank You for the gift of of, uh, Your only begotten Son sent into this world to live, die, and rise again for our sake. For your glory. And Lord, we pray, uh, fill us, fill us with your spirit. May we become spirit controlled. We'll never be perfect <clears throat> on this side, but by your grace, may we become more and more spirit controlled. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.